Amen. Well, good morning. Can you guys hear me well? Right. Uh, today we're going to be in Luke chapter 11, verses 5 to 13. So please have that in front of you. You can pull out the app or physical Bible, or you can text uh, outline to 97,000 and you can get the scripture there as well. But we're going to keep going back to that. And like if we were talking about a piece of art, um, if you're not looking at the piece of art, you're going to be wildly confused. So just go ahead and have that open. And um, before, while you're getting that open, while you're getting uh, going there, I wanted to give thanks for the opportunity, thanks to the leaders and by extension, the members for entrusting me with this opportunity. I don't take it lightly. Uh, I believe that what we're about to hear is God's word. And so that is one of the most important things that, if not the most important thing that we have. Um, and so thank you guys for the opportunity. Plus I wanna acknowledge, it's very weird preaching to a screen. And so kudos to Justin for doing that every week. Um, and to all of you guys on the other end for, um, for joining us. And happy Father's Day to all the fathers out there and all the fathers in your life, all the people that act like fathers. I want to acknowledge that today is a beautiful day because some of us have the best earthly father we could ever ask for. And then some of us um, have very estranged relationships with our dads. Uh, also, some of us have lost our dads. And so I just want to acknowledge you, let you know that I am praying for you. Um, and today I am with you. I personally don't know my dad uh, and have no relationship with him, zero. Don't know how he looks, never heard his voice, none of that. And uh, one of the closest people in my life that acted as a father just recently passed away. So I'm with you in this time and I'm praying for you. But let's get into this text, guys. Um, Luke chapter 11, verses 5 through 13. And he said to them, which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within. Do not bother me. The door is now shut and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. And I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds and, the one, and to the one who knocks, it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion. If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? I know Justin prayed, but I want to pray again as we get into this message. Father, help us to know your heart for us in prayer. Help us to pray with urgency and persistence without shame because you are a father who welcomes us. Father, I pray, Lord, that as I preach, that you would be with me, help me get out of the way and help your spirit take, uh, take, take the way, God. And as we listen as well, I pray, Lord, that your spirit would help our ears to perk up to the things that you have for us in this passage. I also pray that we would take this seriously and that we would start 
and continue doing this today in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So I remember when I was younger, uh, and most of you know this, when you're a kid, you have a desire. Nothing is going to let that go. Nothing is going to stop that. Uh, I wanted these pair of sneakers, and I've been a sneakerhead since birth. So proof right there. I wanted these pair of sneakers, though. They were, they were Barney sneakers, all right? No judgment, please. The ones with the light up. So when you stomp, everybody on the block sees your feet. They're lighting, they're lighting up. You know what I'm saying? And so uh, I had several pair of those sneakers, and my aunt can tell you. When one pair ran out because I grew out of them, I would cry and I would get the next pair. And trust me, we did not have a lot. But I, got, I found my way into getting those sneakers because I wanted them. Some of us don't lose this sense of persistence when we get older, right? It, you, we all have the friend that says, yo, let me hold a dollar. And you're like, yo, bro, are you always asking for something? But that persistence continues to remain. I think the passage that we're in today is going to teach us about what Jesus wants from us in prayer, and it is urgency and persistence. Um, this is what Jesus wants from us. So before Jesus uh, asked, the, before this passage, Jesus' disciples asked him to teach them how to pray. And um, Jesus tells them, gives, gives them a model prayer, all right, in verses two, two to four. And then he continues seamlessly into the story we're about to read right now. We're about to get into right now. Uh, in verse five, Jesus tells this strange story and he starts by saying, which of you? And the whole parable kind of hinges on this, this statement right here. When Jesus says this, he does two things for us. One, he asks us a rhetorical question that begs a response, that begs a question, uh, an answer. It's like me saying to you, can you imagine dot, 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 fill in the blank? Or if I asked you, um, how would you like it if I, right? We usually follow up those types of statements with an expected response, like something that people would generally agree on. And so Jesus is doing that here when he says, which of you? But he also does something else, right? He takes the disciples and he asks them to put themselves in the story, I love this because Jesus personalizes the story for them through an everyday situation. So as we read this, as we read verses five to eight, um, I want us to put ourselves in the story. Okay. And this brings me to my, um, my first point. Let's put in just in perspective. When I say put ourselves in the story, you're the one knocking. Okay. So this brings me to my, to my first point, shameless perseverance. In other words, we should pray with shameless perseverance. Check it out. Check out the story uh, in verse five. Which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves. And he will answer from within, uh, for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, do not bother me. The door is now shut and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. So let me just set the stage here real quick. Here's what's happening, okay? You just received an unexpected visitor at midnight. Um, and you go to your friend's house because you don't have any food for your, for, your, for your visitor. So you knock on his door to ask him for something, to ask him for bread. Now today, I wanna acknowledge, today in our culture, this is a strange situation, right? For us today, we think this is crazy. I wouldn't do that. 
if my friend came at midnight, I'm not going to go disturbing my neighbors because it's midnight. I love you, bro, but you won't have to wait for breakfast like the rest of us. All right. I, I'm, I'm not going to start knocking on doors. It ain't my fault you got here late. You better be glad I let you in at midnight. All right. That's how we look at this story. But understand, Jesus' disciples didn't look at it this way. Jesus' disciples had a different perspective, all right? When in, in, in their culture, there was a serious culture of hospitality. They valued hospitality. Their honor was seen in how hospitable they were to their guests. And so it would bring great shame upon them if, to, if, if they weren't hospitable, no matter if it's 12 a.m., no matter what time it is. Um, and so it was, and it was also a collectively agreed upon value. So the village valued hospitality and the village would have been uh, um, part of you fulfilling that responsibility, part of you uh, being hospitable. They would have all had that collective responsibility to do that. So they had to offer them food. Now, so when I said, which of you, right? When Jesus asked for a response, the disciples hearing this are confused by the, the friend inside. You are confused by the friend inside because he said, don't bother me. Don't bother me. Bro, we've been friends since the first grade. What you mean don't bother you? You really gonna leave me hanging here? You know, I gotta, I gotta feed my boy. What you mean don't bother you? Like, nah, my friend would never say that. Jesus, you're tripping. My friend would never do something like that. We're family. I've known him for years. He wouldn't make such a lame excuse. He would feel the responsibility to help me out. And he would know the scripture, right? He would know Proverbs 3, 27 and 28, which says this. Do not withhold good from those to whom it is due when it is your power to do it. Do not say to your neighbor, go and come again tomorrow. I will give it when you have it with you. See, let me try to give you a modern day example and some of us could identify with this, right? Your phone is dying. Battery's low. Uh-oh, what are you gonna do? You start asking everybody around you for a charger, right? You're like, yo, bro, I just met you like two seconds ago. You got a charger though? Like, I, you have no shame. You are not going to let your phone die. You are going to ask everybody that you can. If you see somebody with a charger, you're like, yo, I saw that charger. Yo, can I, can I, can I hold that real quick? You're going to ask them, do you see the urgency of the situation? Do you, do you, would you not persist without shame? And Jesus continu continues, though, to tell us the, the, the motivation of the friend inside. So the disciples are like, nah, you know, my, my mans won't do that. And Jesus says this. Jesus says in verse eight, check it out. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend. Yet because of his impudence. Uh, I lost my spot. He will rise and give him whatever he needs. So Jesus is like, yo, yo, bro, bro. I know you think that's your friend. But guess what? If he gets up, he's going to get up because you're being annoying. He's going to get up because you are shamelessly persisting. I know you think he'll do it because he's your friend, but I'm telling you, he's going to get up because he's shamelessly, because you're shamelessly persistent. See, the friend was tempted to put up excuses, but because of his friend's shamelessness, he did it. 
uh, and the disciples were shocked, right? But Jesus tells them it's because of his impudence. Now, impudence is not a word that we use every day. Uh, in the uh, Greek, it would have been something like shamelessness or shameless audacity. Okay, so this is, for my Latinos out there, this is when your tia or your pops calls you a sinvergüenza. That's like, you know, tu si eres un sinvergüenza. You just have no shame, right? You just, you're really going to be like that. You're really going to do that. Uh, so Jesus is essentially saying, like, yo, it's because you're a sinvergüenza, you're a shameless person, that your friend is going to respond to you. But you see, this is a story, right? Like I said, Jesus seamlessly transitions. This is a story that tells us about prayer. See, prayer, hear this, prayer is not a time of pretty words beautifully packaged in a little box. Prayer is a time of knocking down the house. God, you there? I need you. Prayer is a time of being urgent. When was the last time we prayed with some snot dripping? When was the last time we prayed when we were angry and we took our anger to God and we said some things? See, we can go to God like a child on Christmas, just energetic and giddy. When was the last time you went to God with that type of excitement? We need to pray with godly greed. See, the word shamelessness, right? Um, it, it, it can mean, it means a shameless persistence, right? An example of that would be greed. Like somebody who just doesn't stop. They want more and more and more and more and more and more. And more. Um, yeah, in this passage, God uses it in a good light. He uses it in a good way. What do I mean when I say praying with godly greed? What I mean by that is being honest and bold, asking, persisting, wanting, and continuing into that. See, prayer is a beautiful thing and we should participate it valiantly. It isn't meant to be polite, guys. Check, this, check out this Psalm, Psalm 10, verse 15, and it's a prayer. Break the arm of the wicked and evildoer. Call his wickedness to account till you find none. That's a prayer. That's in the Bible. Well, that's not nice. That's not nice. But you got to hear the psalmist. When you read the psalm, you notice that he's praying with the same urgency and persistence. Because he acknowledges that there is injustice and he wants justice. He's crying out to his Lord and he's coming authentically. See, God loves authenticity. He loves that. Listen to this other story, right? Uh, uh, in John chapter one, verses 43 to 47, Jesus is calling some disciples, right? And he calls some disciples and they go, to, they go over to Nathaniel, who would later become a disciple. And Nathaniel, when he hears about the Messiah, he's like, come, come and see, Philip says. Uh, um, this is when Nathaniel responds. He says, Nazareth, when he found out Jesus was from Nazareth, Nazareth, can anything good come from there? What? You just this my hood? He 
just this Jesus' whole hood. He said, can anything come from, from good from there? And you know what Jesus' response is? Uh, Jesus says, here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. He just dissed Jesus' whole hood and said, nothing good comes from where you're at, bro. And Jesus is like, oh, I love this guy. He's honest. See, God loves the on- that type of honesty, right? And he even calls us to be honest and bold in our prayers as well. Um, right before this, this prayer, right before this example, excuse me, right before this example, Jesus gives them a model prayer. And in Jesus's own prayer, he is very direct and he doesn't mince words. May your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us. Help us forgive others. Lead us not into temptation. Very direct. Prayer isn't necessarily polite. We don't have to play pretend when we pray, right? And sometimes I find we can, we can pray, play pretend uh, by using this, ver- this, this language. We, we code switch, right? We code switch with God. When we're talking about sports and we're talking about fashion and we're talking about news and we're talking about our friends, we speak one way. And then when it comes to God, we use all this Christian verbiage, all right? Uh, I am blessed and highly favored. Amen. If you speak like that, cool. That's great. But I don't. So when I pray, my prayers are not going to look like that. Um, we, just, we can just come to God the way we are. Jesus continues to tell us to just ask because God wants to answer. And when we pray with this godly greed, okay, we aren't strong arming God into doing what we want. We aren't begging him as though he is callous in our, to our needs. God delights in answering our prayers. Look at verses 9 and 10 with me. He says, <clears throat> And I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. Let's move to my second point. We need to pray expecting an answer. Jesus tells us to ask, knock, and seek. We're asking for things that we want. We're seeking the things that we cannot find, that we cannot see. We're, we're knocking for open doors to happen. Um, and it's interesting. I say seeking, asking, knocking. In the original language, the verb is a continual present tense. In other words, it says, keep seeking, keep on asking, keep on knocking. It is a continual thing that we engage in. At the beginning of this um, quarantine, um, my uncle, who was the closest thing I had to a father, got sick and contracted COVID. In his last Instagram post, he called for us to pray for him. And day in, day out, every night, we had people gathered on a virtual call like this for almost six weeks 
praying for him continuously, persisting in asking and, and continuing to expect an answer. We need to pray with this continual persistence. Greedy for the things of God. See, verse 10 continues to tell us that, um, that we should keep asking, keep seeking, and knocking because God responds to requests. You receive, you find, and doors are open for you. The outcome of prayer is not tentative or uncertain, but explicit and sure. Church, I think we have a hard time trusting that prayer, that prayer or God, really the one behind the prayer, does anything. If we're honest, we don't pray because we don't believe we will receive, find, or that doors will be open to us. We get tired of praying. We grow weary. God, where are you? We think if I get anything, it's going to be through my own power, my own grit. And sometimes we don't pray because of our own sin. Sometimes we pray because we don't think it'll matter. God doesn't care about this thing. This is very minute. God is, or, or God is just going to do whatever he wants anyways. But that isn't what this passage tells us. That is not what this passage tells us. It tells us there is a direct relationship between our asking and our receiving, between our seeking and our finding, between our knocking and open doors. So does this mean then that I can ask God for whatever I want and he's just going to give it to me? Can I just ask for a vacation to Bali? Because that would be nice right now. Not necessarily. See, Jesus models, uh, in Jesus' model of prayer in verses 2 to 4, he already establishes that. Um, I even mentioned that so, uh, excuse me, back in backtrack, I'm getting ahead of myself. God gives good things, but he also withholds things for our good. James, the brother of Jesus, gives us some clarity on this issue in James chapter four, verse three. He says, you desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly um, to spend it on your passions. See, what we are praying for is as important as how we are praying for it. Another issue, um, again, again, there, there are godly passions that lead us to prayer, but there are also worldly passions that lead us to prayer. Look at the Lord's prayer in verses two to four and compare them with the prayers that we ask. Are they similar? What would it look like if we prayed with shamelessness and trusted our God to answer us? Another issue we have with this is that our experience seemed to tell us different. Some of us have asked, some of us have sought, and some of us have knocked with very good intentions. I mentioned earlier, uh, we were praying for my uncle. My uncle went on to pass um, May 1st. And while the prayers that we were praying weren't answered in the way we were 
praying them, we did receive an answer. We asked for total healing. He received total healing. Nevertheless, some of us are left hurting because we don't understand why God hasn't answered our request the way that we wanted. We think God doesn't really care. And I say this last because Christians usually resort to this when they feel awkward, but God knows why he does what he does. And while we may not understand, we can trust that God is a good father. This brings me to the last point, that God gives the gift. God loves to give the gift. Jesus continues in verse 11 in very Jesus-like fashion by saying another story. Um, He talks about, he compares a father, earthly father, right? And he says, beginning in verse 11, what father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? So imagine this absurd situation. This is a little bit more, you know, can click with our culture, right? A father is asked for a fish. The dad gives him a snake. That's just weird. He asks for an scor- a, a, a egg and he gives him a scorpion. Like that is just absurd. Even the most notorious fathers aren't like that. Um, similar to the first story, Jesus moves from an everyday example to show us a greater reality. So in the first example is the shameless uh, friend, the friend who answers because of the shamelessness. And then it moves to God who loves to answer, who loves to give and who loves to um, open doors. If the dads of this world know how to do the right thing, then just imagine God. In fact, look at the gift that God gives. Verse 13 goes on to tell us that he gives the Holy Spirit to those who ask. In the Gospel of Matthew, um, verse 7, 11, it says something similar, but it says, if you then who are evil know how to give good gifts, how much, uh, know how to give good gifts, excuse me, do you think he is going to, if you know how to give good gifts, Guys, let me find my spot. I'm trying to wing this here. Let me, let me go back. All right, here we go. If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father in heaven give, give good gifts to those who ask him? Matthew says good gifts and good gifts, but Luke compares the good gifts of earthly fathers to God's giving of the Holy Spirit, the gift of gifts. If you are going to be greedy about anything, it should be for the Holy Spirit. See, uh, if God gives the Holy Spirit, do you think he's going to be stingy with daily bread? Do you think he's going to be stingy when it comes to our jobs, when it comes to dealing with bosses that are heavy handed, when it comes to having joy in the midst of a pandemic or having joy in the midst of injustices? See, we need the Holy Spirit for it all. 
And when God gives us the Holy Spirit, what he is telling us is I am giving you the greatest gift. I, if, if I'm not going to withhold this thing from you that you need for everything in your life, you think I'm going to withhold something else? God is not stingy. God is a generous God. God is a good God. God loves to give the gift. And when we ask, he, we can expect Finding comfort while you're mourning the loss of a loved one will require the Holy Spirit. It will require his consolation. Having joy in the midst of a pandemic or injustice, like I said, will require the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit can move in the people's lives around you. The Holy Spirit can move in you. The Holy Spirit can even ordain the fine situation that you need in your life. The Holy Spirit can help you with your fears and assure you of God's love. Remember, it is even through the Holy Spirit himself that we can even cry out to God. Romans 8.15, for you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Finally, and I'll end on this point, Jesus' teaching here on prayer and on the Holy Spirit is prophetic. While the disciples are hearing this, Jesus had not yet accomplished what he came to do. He would later, it is in fact, Luke in his uh, narrative, so in Luke and then in Acts, right? Those are two books written by Luke. The Holy Spirit won't come until chapter two. And this is after Jesus has already died, was buried and rose again after he walked the earth and after he ascended. So after Jesus accomplishes this work is when they would have experienced this. So this is a prophetic utterance. This is something that would have been mind blowing to them to have this sense of intimacy. See, Jesus calls us to not just pray what he prays, but to pray it with the confidence that he prays it with. For us today, these promises are available to us right now in hebrews 4 verses 14 and 16 it tells us um this since then we have a great high priest who passed through the heavens jesus the son of god let us hold fast our confession we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. See, because Jesus is our high priest, because he stands in our place and as a mediator between us and God, all of these things ring true. Because of that, we can pray with shamelessness. We can go confidently before the throne. We can ask and expect. We can, we can expect the Holy Spirit's presence in our lives, which we need for everything. When we are praying, we are acknowledging with godly greed how much we need him by boldly going to the throne of God, by being authentic, honest, and open with God, and trusting that he is the God who will respond. He is a God who loves to answer and doesn't withhold his most precious gift, let alone anything else that is good for us. By giving us the ultimate gift of his presence and power at work within us, God gives us the right 
to come before him shamelessly, boldly, sin vergüenza. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you that we get to pray boldly and honestly. Thank you that we get to call you, Father. God, I pray, Lord, that as a church, we would continue to go shamelessly before you, Lord, that we would just be honest, Lord, that you would just rid every barrier that keeps us from coming before you in an honest and open way. God, I pray that we wouldn't grow weary in praying, but that we would keep asking, keep knocking, keep seeking, and that we would know that you are a good father who loves to give good gifts, especially your Holy Spirit. We thank you. We praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.